go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. We're going to be in verses 21 to 28 this morning. We're working our way through Matthew in a sermon series called The King Has Come. Matthew presents Jesus as the promised Messiah right at the very beginning and then traces his lineage, fulfilling all the necessary requirements from the Old Testament law to be the king of Israel. But then he keeps going. He says, but he's more than just an earthly king. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He's Jesus, he who saves And he walks through who Jesus is and the miracles that he does and the things that he teaches. And of course, all of it, as we'll see, is walking step by step by step to the cross and the resurrection. I want to start off with a quote. It's a quote from Lord of the Rings. Any Lord of the Rings fans out there? Yeah, I know. So I guess Youth Sunday School is like using a lot of Lord of the Rings. TJ's teaching that. This quote, I love this quote. It's right from the very beginning. If you don't know, really all you need to know is it's just epic. It's one of these epic adventure stories. Very epic. I could say epic over and over again. I won't, but it's epic. Right at the very beginning, one of the main characters, Gandalf, kind of is this, this wise old wizard. He speaks to Frodo, the main character, and he says to him, it's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door. You step onto the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. I love that. That idea that doesn't matter how big your journey is, it starts with that one step out the door, and then another step, and another, and the journey continues. Frodo starts on a journey, stepping out his front door. Today, I want to look at a time where Jesus, one of the many times, he says, to his disciples, and to all of us, follow me. Let's go. Come with me. Go where I'm going. Follow me. Jesus uses that phrase to call us to a momentous journey. Much like Lord of the Rings, it's a momentous journey filled with great triumphs, great tragedies, great hardships, great difficulties, but great victories as well. And the call that Jesus gives to us is a call to follow him by trusting him, no matter where he leads, no matter where he goes. But we must understand, to start that journey, there is something that must be left behind. We don't follow Jesus with the entirety of our world and our life and everything else on our backs and go, okay, Jesus, I'm going. Frodo couldn't take the Shire with him. He had to step out and go. And Jesus gives a powerful, powerful challenge in the passage that we're going to look at today. And it is one among many passages that I think the contemporary church, modern Christians, we have to wrestle with this because I think that we have watered this truth down so much that it no longer means anything. And we need to come back to it and say, this has to mean something. So let's pick up the teaching here in verse 21. And we need to look at the path that Jesus must take. And I want you to look for that word must in the passage. Jesus has a mission, and that mission is going to lead to the cross and the resurrection. And what you're going to see is that Peter struggles with this. 
Now, in a moment, I'll look at the passage, but I want to bring in the context. If you were here last week, we looked at verses 13 through 20. It's this wonderful time. Peter is one of the disciples. He's kind of one of the first or most outspoken disciples. And he has this incredible moment where he declares that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, verse 16. Powerful statement. One of the most powerful statements of who Jesus is in all of Scripture. You are the Son of God, the promised Messiah. And Jesus says, Simon, you're going to be called Rock. My, my kids, after we got home, they're like, did they actually just call him Rock? Was that kind of like Rock, like the wrestler or the, the act? He's an actor now. He's not a wrestler. He was pretty much an actor then, too, I think. But and, and yeah, I mean, that's what to them. It was like, hey, there's the Rock. There's Rock. That's Peter. That's that's how they thought of it. He's the rock. And Jesus declares that this statement, this truth of Jesus, or this truth that Peter declares, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He says, this is the rock upon which I'm going to build my church. It's like, oh, Peter, such a hero. This is amazing. And then we come to our passage for today. It says, verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day, be raised to life. From that time on, Peter has made this declaration, Jesus, we believe in you. We trust you. And then Jesus hits them with the hard truth. Okay, guys, here's what's going on. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And on the third day, I will come back to life. I wonder how much of that was really able to enter their minds. I think this was so overwhelming. But look at what he says. He begins to explain. I think the implication there is that he talked about this often. After this point, it was like, hey, guys, remember... Don't forget, remember, remember where we're going, going to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. I'm going to raise on the third day. Remember. And look at what he says. He, what? Must go to Jerusalem. I think it's interesting if he had just said, I will go to Jerusalem and I will suffer and I will be hung on a cross and I will die. It's kind of like saying, like a prophecy. This is just what's going to happen. Must takes it to a different level. Jesus is telling his disciples, this has to happen. I have planned for this to happen. I am following what must happen. Jesus must go to the cross because God's righteousness demands that our sins are punished. He must go to the cross. Jesus must go to the cross because he's going to die in our place to save us. We need Jesus to go to the cross. He says, I have to go there. He must rise from the dead in order to promise eternal life to all who believe. He must. He must suffer and die on the cross and then rise from the dead in order to bring his kingdom. The very thing that the disciples and the Jewish people and all the people that interacted with Jesus, they're hoping for, longing for, now's the time. Everything will be made right. And Jesus says, yes, but... I must go to Jerusalem. I must suffer and I must die and I must rise again. I think we still struggle with this today. I don't know how much they took in, how much of this they were able to really process. I'm not sure how much of it we are still able to process today. We have expectations of what Jesus should do. 
well, I got up this morning and, and I did my devotion, so I should have a good day, right? Why did things not go well at work? Well, how come the kids were awful? God, I did my devotions this morning. I, I prayed to you. I reached out to you. It's a human response. But Jesus comes along and says, look, this is what I'm doing. Will you trust me in what I'm doing? So Jesus makes this profound statement, and Peter, being Peter, has got something to say about it. Verse 22, Peter took him aside. This is a scolding, okay? Jesus, come here. Shh, stop talking, Jesus. Let's go over here. We're going to have a little one-on-one, and we're going to talk. And Peter wants to put Jesus in his place. He says, he took him aside, began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And look at how Jesus responds. Jesus turned to him and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Remember, this is Peter who just made this amazing declaration of faith. He makes another amazing declaration here, and Jesus calls him on it. And it, what's really interesting is that in this one passage, he's called the rock upon which Jesus will build the church. It's a little veiled in the English, but Jesus is actually calling him another rock. The rock that causes you to trip and stumble. It's the Greek word, scandalon. You could, you could imagine the English word we get from that, scandal, scandalous, something that causes you to trip and stumble. He's like, Jesus, or Peter, you were this rock. The statement you made was this foundation. Now you are something that's going to cause people to trip and fall on their face. D.A. Carson says this. This is a shocking bit of arrogance from Peter. He explains, Peter confesses that Jesus is the Messiah and then speaks in a way that implies he knows more of God's will than the Messiah himself. What a shocking bit of arrogance this is. Jesus turns and he looks right in Peter's face. And he says to him, get behind me. You are standing in the way of the Messiah you just claimed. Get behind me. Some have said this means that Peter's like, or Jesus is calling Peter to follow. I think it's much stronger than that. It's Peter, get out of the way. You are a stumbling block. And he says, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. If you look back to verse 17, I really struggled splitting these passages because they go hand in hand, but there's just too much for one sermon. But if you look back to verse 17, when Jesus or when Peter makes this amazing declaration in verse 16, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. He makes this statement and and Jesus says, you understand that because God has revealed that to you. This is different. He says, Peter, what you're saying, what you're declaring now is not from the Lord. These are man's thoughts, human ideas. Be careful. It is a strong warning. Here, Peter is ignoring what God is doing and acting on his own logic. So what's the big deal? 
Isn't Jesus being a bit harsh here? As he challenges Peter? Is it just a bit too much? Remember that God has a plan. From Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning of all time to the end of all time, and the beginning of all eternity, God has a plan. And that plan was to send Jesus, his son, to die in our place. So that we might live. And that he would be raised from the dead so that we might have eternal life. Eternal life for all who believe in him. This is the plan of God. And Peter is saying to Jesus as he declares, this is what I'm going to do. Peter says, never. Stop here. You should go no farther. You know, it's interesting because in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus faced something kind of similar. Somebody came to Jesus and offered him a way to get what Jesus was heading toward, but without the cross and the resurrection. Do you remember who that was? Satan. The devil comes to Jesus and says that he would give Jesus everything. He would make him king over everything if Jesus would just bow down and worship Satan. It's the easy way out. And Jesus, same way, says, no way. And now Peter is standing in the place of Satan. And Jesus says, you must Get behind me. Friends, I think we still struggle with wanting the good King Jesus without the cross of Jesus, the suffering of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. We want our way and for Jesus to come our way. And instead what Jesus says is, here's where I'm going. You need to come with me. And what Jesus says next is going to shake his disciples out of this lie. And I pray it does to us as well. This lie that we can just keep doing what we want. In verses 24 to 28, he says this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to live their life will lose it. Or whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some are standing here that will or some standing here will not taste death before they see the son of man coming in his kingdom. Jesus says, "Here's the path I'm taking. If you want to be my disciple, you need to follow." In verse 24, he gives the call to discipleship. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. What is a disciple? We often use the idea today of believer. I'm a believer in Jesus. I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he rose from the dead. And that's good. Disciple actually takes it a step further. And Jesus liked that word, disciple. Disciple is, in simplest terms, it's a learner and a follower. 
A learner is a student, someone who understands something and I think believes it. I, I believe this truth. I believe it is true. I have learned it. I accept it. It is true. But then a disciple also has to put it in motion by following that teacher. They don't just come to a classroom and sit there and take notes. The disciple has to go where the teacher or the rabbi goes. They have to follow the path that the rabbi treads. A disciple is a learner who follows and a follower who learns. And all of this is under the envelope of faith. Because what the disciple is saying to the rabbi is, I will trust you no matter what. When we understand that passages like Peter getting out of the boat make sense. Him getting out of the boat to walk on water. Why? Because that's where his rabbi is. And Jesus calls him and Peter gets out of the boat and follows. The disciples followed Jesus. And here he's telling them his plan of where he is going and how hard it's going to be. And Jesus gives three truths here about being a disciple. Don't miss this. The first is we must deny ourselves. We must deny ourselves. A a good way of thinking about discipleship is that we are living a laid down life. Here's my life, my heart, my desires, my dreams, my wants. I am laying it down for the sake of Jesus. Deny self. We must take our wants and our desires and lay them down. Peter wanted a king without the cross. And Jesus says, you got to lay that down, man. We need to lay down our ideas and our logic. Peter had it all figured out. Jesus, here's the plan. Here's what you're going to do. And it doesn't involve suffering and dying and going to the cross. I've got a better plan. And Jesus says, you got to lay that down. You got to give that up. We need to lay down our fears and our control. And I'll tell you, friends, those two things go together. Our idea that we're in control and our fear of being out of control go together. They're two sides of the same coin. Peter wanted to control what Jesus was doing. And Jesus says, you've got to lay that down. And of course, the corollary truth is, Peter, I'm in control. I've got this. You need to trust me. Lay it down. Followers of Jesus live laid down lives, denying self. The second thing he says is that we must take up our cross. So we live laid down lives and we live cross carrying lives. Now, this phrase, you know, the cross I bear, we kind of use this a little flippantly. How are you doing? Well, I'm waiting for the next episode of my show to come out. It's just the cross I have to bear. Really? And sometimes it's used for even more serious things. Well, I'm, I'm struggling with sickness or disease. It's, it's the cross I have to bear. And, and that's true. But if I could be blunt, that's not what Jesus is actually talking about here. Because think about what the disciples would have heard here. Jesus has not going, gone to the cross. He's not speaking metaphorically here. He just told them he's on his way to the cross. He's going to suffer and die. And he has now called his disciples to follow him. So when he says, take up your cross and follow me, what would have gone through their minds are criminals being led away to die. 
people that everybody else along the road would have said, you fools. You silly people. You condemned criminals. You're going the wrong direction. You're a cross-carrying person going to die. So when Jesus says, take up your cross, please, friends, understand what he is saying is that to be a Christian is to be willing to suffer and die for Jesus Christ. There is no way to short-circuit that or make that more easy to understand and accept. That's what Jesus is saying. Being a disciple is living a laid-down life, a cross-carrying life. And finally, it's living a life following Jesus. Jesus is challenging us to step out of our homes. Step out of our comfort, step out of our way of life. Now, don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean that Jesus always calls every person to give up everything you own. But it does mean that you need to give up control over that and the fear of losing that. If Jesus wants to take it, he can take it. It's living life, I think it was A.W. Tozer who talked about living life with an open hand. We live life like this, like here's my family, here's my job, here's my money, here's my future, here's everything, and I'm holding on to it. And in Christ, we need to open up those hands and say, yes, here's my stuff. And God might choose to let me keep it to use it for his glory. He might, and he does at times. But there are other times that he says, I've got something else for you, and he takes it out of our hand. And if we're holding on to it like this, he's going to come in in one finger at a time. He's going to open it up because he knows what he's got for us is better. And it's hard and it hurts. But if we live like life like this, saying, Jesus, it's not mine anyway. Everything I have is from you. And if you want to take it, it's yours. That's what it means to follow Jesus. None of it was mine to begin with. I am a follower of Jesus living a laid down cross carrying life. And that's what Jesus calls us to. Come, follow me. And he gives them an important reason for this. He says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Think about that for a second. He's tying into a lie that we all grab onto. It's the lie that says, I've got this. I've got this figured out. If things go my way and the people around me do what I want and this world goes the way I want, then everything will work out great. I've got this. I'm going to save my life. I'm going to make things go the way I want it to go. And the lie is, even if you're right, even if things in your world go the right way, there is a much bigger reality than what you're thinking about. Because this world is not all there is. And this life is not all there is. There is a whole eternity that we were created for. And what does it do, what good does it do for us to control this tiny little reality, which the truth is we can't even control that, if we sacrifice everything else and lose our own soul? He links these two things. Those people that want to save their life who will ultimately lose it, he links this in verse 26 with those who want to gain the whole world but forfeit their own soul. He says you can't have it both ways. You can either hold on to this life or you can hold on to Christ. You can't have both. Which way are you going to go? 
The truth is, our idea of control in this world, in this life, is a lie to begin with. We control nothing. And the sooner we realize that and accept that Jesus, our Messiah, our Savior, is in control, the sooner Peter realized that he wasn't the one setting the course, Jesus was, the sooner Peter could trust Jesus and follow wherever he leads. Hard, yes, but better than just living this lie that I've got this. And there's a promise that comes with it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. It says, guys, whatever you're giving up along the way, whatever you might lose, what you're gaining in Jesus Christ is so far better. And again, I I think there's kind of a, a metaphorical application to us, be willing to give up things in your life, but let's also not miss the concrete, specific application. There are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ around the world that when they follow Christ, they lose their life. And it's very possible that could be the reality even in our country at some point. Are we willing to follow Christ, trusting that what we gain in him is so far better? And he gives another truth of perspective. Verse 27, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Friends, this world... The struggles, the tears, the gains and the losses, the joys and the triumphs, and even the tragedies. This is not all there is. One day Jesus is coming back. The King, the Creator of all things, the Savior, He's coming back. And what He's promising these disciples who will give up everything for His sake, He says, don't worry. Because the reward when I return is so far greater than anything you're going to lose. Out of the 12 men that he's talking to, who are his apostles here and other potential followers that are around him, at least 11 of them that we know of will lose their life in horrible ways because of following Jesus Christ. One, Judas will commit suicide out of guilt for betraying Jesus. As far as we know, only one, John, who writes Revelation, died at an old age. The rest were killed for their faith. I don't want to be the guy that like is such a downer. and I don't want to be the guy that says, okay, let's all go out and die for Christ. That's not what he's saying. But we need to look at our faith and say, do we have a faith that says, if I have to make a choice between Christ and anything or everything else, my choice is Christ. Because this side of the scale with Jesus will always far surpass anything and everything on the other side. That's what it means to follow Christ. If this world is all that there is, if we buy into that lie, we're going to live for rewards in this world and safety and control in this world. Jesus says there's so much more. And he says he's going to reward people according to what they have done. Now, don't miss the truth here, because some people would say, well, see, you just need to be a good person because Jesus is coming back and he's going to reward you. But he said, I'm going to the cross. Jesus is not going to the cross because we need to be better people. 
Jesus is going to the cross because we cannot save ourselves and he's going to die in our place. So in the context of rewarding us for what we have done, he's saying the reward of following him and trusting him versus anybody going the other direction. We either trust Jesus and are saved or we trust in anything else and we are lost. Finally, there's another promise in verse 28 that's very specific to the disciples. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. I got to be honest, right at the outset, nobody is exactly sure what Jesus is talking about here. This was something he said to his disciples about something that was going to happen to those disciples at that time. I'll give you a few theories and then we're going to move on. Some say that it's the transfiguration, that's the next passage, they kind of see Jesus' humanity in a sense peeled back and they just see the glow of his deity and they, they worship him and they're just kind of blown away by who Jesus is. Maybe that's what he's referring to. I think that's highly likely because that is the next thing Matthew talks about. Others will say it's seeing the resurrection because now after the resurrection people are being saved, the kingdom is breaking in, it's possible. Some say it's John, as he writes the book of Revelation, he has this vision of the risen Lord ruling in heaven, that's also very possible. But I think what we can take away from this is that Jesus was encouraging his followers as they were going to face great difficulties. He was challenging them and encouraging them, look beyond. Look beyond to that time. He's saying to Peter, you want to see the kingdom come. Look beyond the struggle and the temptations and and the times of loss. Look beyond it and realize there is something more. Fix your eyes there and keep following Jesus Christ. To be a Christian is to be a follower of Jesus. To deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Jesus even if it costs us our earthly lives. What do we do with all this? Friends, I am deeply concerned that too often what we think about being a Christian is inviting Jesus to follow us. Think about that for a moment. Jesus, here's what I want. This job, this life, this home, this family, this picket fence, this dog, whatever it is. Jesus, why don't you come with me? Because that'll be great along the way. What a blessing you can be to me on my path. Jesus, come with me. What deeply concerns me about that is that that's not a message you're getting from the world. Please understand, the secular world is not saying, oh yeah, just do what you want and invite Jesus to to follow you. No, no, that's not the secular world doing that. That's what I hear from so many Christians and so many people that say they're preaching the word of God and they are absolutely not. And I'm deeply concerned about the state of the church today. These words of Jesus cannot mean, Jesus, I'm doing this, please bless it. It has to mean, Jesus, I'm doing this and I'm willing to throw it all away for the sake of following you. It has to mean that. Laying down our lives. Being a Christian means being a follower of Jesus Christ. Trusting where Jesus is going more than where we think he should go. Laying down our ideas and our desires about Christ and trusting wherever he leads. 
Because we know that wherever Jesus takes us is far better than anything we could have done on our own. The ultimate destination of this life for those who follow Jesus and are saved by Jesus is eternity in his presence where there will be blessings beyond compare and the joy of being in the presence of our creator and there will be no more crying and no more pain and no more loss and all those things that we hope to achieve in this world that we gave everything for and lost everything at times. Jesus says, I promise you it's coming Come, follow me. I pray, friends, let's be followers of Jesus rather than people that say, Jesus, bless me along my way because his way is far better. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, these are hard truths. Father, I know there are There are people here today that need to be grabbed by the truth of your word. And we need to be shaken out of our complacency. We need to be pushed out of our selfish worldviews. But God, I also know there are people that are struggling and are hurting. And Father, I think your truth is the same challenge and encouragement for both. The comfort of along the way of following Jesus, far surpasses the loss. And when we follow you and trust you, you know what you're doing. You had it planned from the very beginning. And in the midst of struggles, we can know you are in control. You have the destination laid out. You have a plan for us through the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection that is for our good and for your glory. And so, Father, I pray if there's anyone here today that needs to hear that call, the call that they've never responded to, come, follow Jesus. I pray today would be the day that they say yes. Yes, I'm willing to step out of my house, my comfort zone, what makes sense to me, and put all of my trust in Jesus Christ and follow him wherever he leads. Oh God, may today be the day. And Father, for each one of us, we need to hear this challenge again. Because while we may start by letting go of the things in our life, we have an uncanny ability to try to pick them all back up again. And so I pray that you would challenge us to deny ourselves, take up our crosses, and follow Jesus wherever he may lead. In his powerful name we pray. Amen.